Hey, the time has arrived for yet another episode of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles, and welcome to episode 22. And as usual, so many things to talk about. Let's just dive right into them. As the remodel continues for the Montreal Canadiens, it would seem that one position of clarity should be at center. It looks very clear that Nick Suzuki, Kirby Doc, and Sean Monaghan should be the number one, two, three centers, along with either Jake Evans or Rem Picklick being the fourth center and quote-unquote in charge of the defensive line. And if Jake Evans is the center, Rem Picklick would be the right wing. That allows them to interchange as they can play all three forward positions. Kind of gives you that safety net of that second center on the line. And the left wing on that fourth line would be Michael Pizzetta. Regarding centers and contracts, two of the most important contracts moving ahead would have to be Cole Caulfield and Sean Monaghan. Cole Caulfield, obviously, is going to be probably a little bit easier to have the conversation with because, obviously, he's a building block that's going to be around for a long period of time where Monaghan was picked up from an extra contract-wise so the Calgary Flames could then sign Nazem Kadri. So he was kind of a cap relief type deal. The best part about that deal, though, is with Monaghan playing as well as he has, the Canadians have already secured a first-round pick from Calgary for picking up that contract, but now they might be able to flip him for another first-round pick. But in the world of contracts, Cole Caulfield. Do you offer him the bridge contract? Do you offer him the long-term contract? Cole Caulfield's only going to get better and better. So if you can offer him a long-term contract and get him signed to it, you're probably better off. There's been a fair amount of teams taking bets or thinking that they're going to be able to work out some kind of deal or get off with paying a little bit less by doing bridge deals. Caulfield's just one of those guys that is only going to get better and better. In the case of Sean Monaghan, let's see where he's at. Let's If he's happy in Montreal and he would want to re-up, he might be worth having a conversation with regarding all of the players that could be available throughout the year or at the trade deadline. He has certainly been the most productive of all of those players that potentially could be traded this year. If a three-year contract at $6 million per season would interest him, that might be a way to go. The problem here, though, is it's not just his contract and the length of it. What about, since you are have Nick Suzuki. Kirby Doc is eventually going to slot in as the second center. Where does Owen Beck and Jan Mysik come into play? Those have got to be the other two players and prospects right now that the Canadians have intentions for on the roster. Jan Mysik has done really well at the OHL and international levels. Seems to be having a relatively quiet year so far in Laval at the AHL. Owen Beck just had a fantastic and in some cases some people would say the best training camp out of any Montreal prospect and was the last guy sent down after the training camp had ended. So obviously Owen Beck is fairly close to playing in the NHL. That being said, both Jan Mysik and Owen Beck would three years of a contract be too long for Sean Monaghan and getting in the way of Beck and Mysak's development and prevent them from being able to have a roster spot with proper minutes of ice time. So there's a lot of things to go into the potential of Monaghan, but he would probably be the only one that would be worth having the conversation with of the potential players that are going to be traded this year. One of the most refreshing things about Monaghan, he's the first player that I can think of in a long time that has actually been acquired by Montreal as an established player who seems to love the city, be productive on the team, has been able to fit in, hasn't had to have specific 
specific line mates all the time as he's been moved around on the left wing with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. He's been mixed in with Josh Anderson, Kirby Doc. He's had multiple different line combinations this year. It's just nice to see a player that's been acquired actually fit into Montreal, not have everybody wonder why they bothered to acquire him because he just seems lost on the ice or just doesn't seem to fit into the organization. So that has been tremendously refreshing to see Monaghan play to that level and actually adapt to the team that quickly. Another player that's been extremely pleasant to watch unfold this year has been Kirby Doc. There was a lot of people that wanted to give Kent Hughes again flack for the deal he pulled the trigger on at draft day. Obviously that has not only worked out really well, but has been a much needed asset that Montreal has looked at literally since drafting Doug Wickenheiser in 1980. Finally, they have not only the big center at six foot four, two hundred and twelve pounds, but he's also young. He's also early in his career. He can be worked with, molded, and can have a very successful, productive career with the Montreal Canadiens. That's been extremely pleasant to see. And again, Coach Martin St. Louis, for all the people that want to give him flack as far as all the skills he didn't have as a coach, seems to be the perfect coach for many of the players, including Kirby Doc, as he allows them to play to their skill set, recognizes what their skills are, puts them in combinations on lines with other players that are going to literally showcase those skills or just be able to utilize those skills in a productive manner, which has not happened for years in Montreal. And it's very apparent that Kirby Doc has decided to listen to his coaches as well. It's one thing to teach somebody something, but if they're not listening or they don't care, it's not going to really achieve that much. He really seems to be listening to, following, and understanding what the coaching staff is asking of him and how he's playing and how they're positioning him all seems to really create a nice mix of the right people at the right time and utilizing skill sets that people actually have. There is no doubt Kirby Doc is having the best year not only of his career, but probably his life this season in Montreal, as he's played very, very well and far beyond expectations. Ironically, it also looks like he'll be the one that'll end up breaking the curse of the third overall pick, which of course Alex Galchenyuk and Yaspiri Kakanyemi were third overall picks, as was Doc in his year. Nick Suzuki was drafted 13th overall. Ironically, both Suzuki and Doc weren't drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. They were acquired. It's funny how you end up acquiring your number one and number two centers. You would think they would have been able to draft that, but obviously Kakanyemi and Galchenyuk hadn't worked out. I don't think there's ever been a curse of the third overall pick. I think the difference is that Suzuki was able to finish his junior career, wasn't rushed to the NHL. Doc was able to finish his career and probably was brought up in a better development system at that point than Yaspiri Kakanyemi and Alex Galchenyuk were. I, I still believe that if Galchenyuk and Kakanyemi were able to come to the Canadians at 20 years old, and having had a full four years in the OHL in the case of Galchenyuk and a full four years in Finland in the case of Kakanyemi, I think you would have seen much, much more drastically different turnouts of those two players. But that being said, I certainly still agree with to this day the selection instead of Kakanyemi should have been Brady Kachuk. But you can't cry over spilled milk and you can't change the past. But certainly moving forward, it looks like they obviously have a far better understanding and it looks like this new management 
treatment is not going to have those same types of issues. And this brings us to the hot topic, or what seems to be a very hot topic, of Josh Anderson, as well as Christian Dvorak, respectively. There's a lot of people that obviously believe that Josh Anderson should stay in Montreal, but there's also a lot of people that probably an equal amount of believe that if he's that hot of a commodity with his inconsistent play, hey, if they can get a first-round pick and even more for Josh Anderson, I say make the trade. It alleviates the team of $5.5 million. More importantly, it eliminates or alleviates the team of a player that just doesn't seem to be able to put a consistent game together. I like Anderson's size. I like his physicality. I, I like his abilities physically, but he just is a ghost, basically. He'll show up for a game or two, and then, like Dvorak, he is a ghost for 10 or 15 games. And unfortunately, at $5.5 million for Anderson and $4.5 million for Dvorak, that's just $10 million a team can spend in a better, more productive way. So those are two of the players out of all the players that I think are going to be moved this year that might just be able to help Montreal secure that third or even beyond first round draft pick selections in the 2023 draft. Regarding Anderson, maybe the real issue is people are having flashbacks to John McClare, 6'3", 210 pound left winger who got traded to the Flyers all those years ago and went on to play very, very well. Most players are players of the system that they're part of or of the chemistry of the team that they're a part of. And sometimes people fit, sometimes pieces of the puzzles don't fit. I know that people will point to the fact that Anderson scored that goal in overtime this year that's nice but that's one of 22 games Dvorak had a hat trick in one game that's one game of 22 games there's got to be some consistency there that's the issue is consistency and if you trade those players who will probably net you more than say the Durans, Donatoffs, Armias and Hoffmans will it also alleviates that logjam of players that so many people apparently are personally bothered by and want to see Montreal unclutter that's another way to eliminate those players some players will be easier to trade than other but in that whole list of players though monahan remains the one person that might just be deserving of a discussion behind the scenes before you trade him just because he's been by far the most useful and productive member of that entire group of players it's not even a contest now here's a weird conversation that seems that every time it pops up almost be like this is the first time it's been talked about goaltending let's start with the fact that Allen and montabano have played far better than expected say the last week or week and a half by Allen he's looked a lot like he did last year at that point if anybody actually thought legitimately that either one of these players were going to become Carey Price or a number one 50 plus game goaltender you know there's an old saying it's good to dream but this this isn't a good dream this is a dream that's got to come to an end okay neither one of these goaltenders are going to become Carey Price or anything like them they're placeholders and unfortunately they're placeholders in a position that is in great question right now. Yes, they've played above average this season and has given Montreal certainly a better chance and a better tandem in goal than anybody expected, but they're a placeholder with the idea of who they're holding that place for is yet to come. Either it's going to be one of the mid-level draft picks like Jacob Dobbs, Frederick Tuchow, Joe Verbetic, or Emmett Croteau, or it's going to be somebody they're going to draft this year or in a future pick, in a future draft. But there also seems to be a lot of people that think that they should go after some of the better known goaltenders in the league once they become UFAs. Montreal does not need another blue 
loaded contract. And Montreal doesn't need to obtain a goaltender who at that point will be in late 20s, very late, like 28, 29, or in their early 30s. The goaltender, as well as all the defensemen and forwards, needs to grow together that way. And that's that's just something that has to occur. That That's not a position that they need to acquire by trade. The only goaltender in the league, and this guy still, would not be the long-term answer or the long-term solution that I would say the Canadians would acquire would be is if you could flip Joel Armia, Mike Hoffman, Evgeny Donatov, or if you want to throw in a prospect in the trade and the team just says we don't have the payroll to be able to cover those larger contracts if you send them to us, throw in Jacob Olofsson and send whichever one of those players to the Vancouver Canucks and acquire goaltender Michael DiPietro. He's still not going to be the long-term answer, but right now he's better than anything Montreal has ready for the next level in the NHL. In other words, he's better than Caden Primo is. He's better than Kevin Poulin is. He, I would say, would be far more ready, and that's not even a question, than Joe Verbetic, who's playing his first season in the East Coast Hockey League this year. So at least it would be an NHL-ready goaltender. So if you can make that trade, I would acquire Michael DiPietro from the Vancouver Canucks. But all these other high-priced veterans that people are talking about, that's one of the problems the Canadians are currently trying to deal with, is getting rid of all these ridiculous contracts. So why create another one? That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And while we're on the topic of goaltender talking about Carey Price, I maybe this is really difficult for a lot of people, but I think people are going to have to really, really realize they're likely never to see him again. I would love for Carey Price to put a Canadian's uniform back on, step back out on the ice, and be the goaltender he was in 2014. As he explained to people in his most recent interview, he still can't get up and down stairs. So the progression, if you will, has to be, he has to be able to get up and down stairs for He has to be able to functionally exist with his family. And then if enough progress can be made, he can return to the NHL. That doesn't put a lot of hope in the future of Carey Price. Maybe Price can continue to contribute to the team as an additional goaltending coach. Maybe he can be available during games or after games or in pregame skates giving advice to goaltenders. Hey, nothing's wrong with advice, especially from a man who has a career and accomplishment list like Carey Price does. But that's about it. If people are holding out hope that he's going to return to his 2014 season and win seven awards like he did in that phenomenal year, stop trying to live that dream. That that dream is come and gone. And I'm not trying to rain on anybody's parade. That is just not a legitimate thought right now. I mean, maybe he'll surprise everybody and he'll make a miraculous recovery. The amount of surgeries that he's had, the amount of pain medications that he's taken, the amount of injections that he's gotten, the amount of therapy that he's had, none of it's worked yet. So again, I'm not trying to be the gloom and doom guy here, but Carey Price's chances of returning are not that high. And to continue talking about goaltenders for a second, I hope not everybody is overly excited about Caden Primo. Were the playoffs in the AHL a nice thing to watch last year? Absolutely. You would love to see, everybody would love to see Caden Primo play like that all the time. That would be fantastic. He seems to kind of regressed a little bit this year. He seems to be back more to his regular season play of last year in the AHL, which did not excite a lot of people. So I would love to see Caden Primo succeed and become that heir apparent. I've had a gut feeling since he left Northeastern University that his days with the Montreal Canadiens may actually not be that long. Not that they're actively looking to trade him. I have a feeling he eventually is going to find his way to Philadelphia. 
Philadelphia, the New Jersey Devils, maybe the New York Islanders. And with any one of those franchises, especially the Flyers and the Devils, I think he could have a pretty solid career. There's just a disconnect with him in Montreal. For some reason, his progression hasn't proceeded in the way I think a lot of people thought it would. He hasn't gelled well. If you look at any of the regular season games that he played last year in Montreal, he, above and beyond everything else, forget about whether he was ready for it, forget about whether he had proper development or anything else, he just genuinely did not look comfortable. He really kind of had a look on his face every game of like, well, it started, now I just can't wait for the game to end, and I can't wait to get back to Lavelle. He seemed to, up to the point that Dominic Ducharme was fired last year, Caden Primo seemed to be a lot happier with the coaching staff in Lavelle than he was with the coaching staff in Montreal. That changed, of course, when Martin St. Louis was hired, but still, Caden Primo did not look comfortable in a single game he played last year. So it's even beyond the whole positioning, development, ready for the NHL challenge. He just doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look comfortable within his own game. That is a major concern. I loved how he played in playoffs. I would love to see him do that all the time, but that so far remains a rarity. Perhaps if all the development department and development staff that's now in place, thanks to Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes, was there when he left Northeastern University, maybe Caden Primo would be further ahead in his progression. But right now, I think he's one of the last ones, fortunately, that will be significantly and adversely affected by the lack of a development program and staff in place for an organization. Montreal just didn't have one. They, they kind of seem to have an attitude of they would draft a player and think that the junior clubs or the international clubs would take care of all that. They'd hit the ground in Montreal running and wouldn't have to do any development. That would be nice, but again, that's one of those pipe dreams as well. Gotta have development place, and Montreal now has that. Not only has development, but has probably one of the best, and arguably in some people's mind, the best development staff and department in the league. Out of all the goaltending prospects in the organization that I mentioned earlier, I think the one that has the best shot right now is Jacob Dobbs, playing for Ohio State in the Big Ten. He's 6'5", he'll be over 200 pounds at that point. I think he's got possibility to surprise a lot of people, like Yaroslav Halak had. But I think Dobbs has got the best option. He's kind of hidden away in a college program. He'll finish all four years. His save percentage, his goaltending style, his development seems to constantly progress forward. I think he's got a shot. Other than that, the rest of the guys might end up being backups. They could surprise Frederick DeChow. A lot of people said going into this season was moving to the elite league of the European Hockey League. Maybe that'll help him out as well, but I think Jacob Dobbs right now has the best set of tools and skill set to make the club at some point. But again, we're talking about a guy playing in the NCAA programs in U.S. college hockey, so how close is he going to be ready? So how quickly will that translate to the NHL game? I mean, will he walk out of U.S. college hockey fully prepared, jump on the NHL roster and be ready to go? Or will he need a couple of seasons in Laval? How complete will his game be? Does he play deep in the crease, shallow in the crease? Does he come out high to the crease and challenge the shooters? How far does he come out to challenge the shooters? How quick is his recovery? Does he know when to play the puck? Does he know when to leave the puck in control of the defense that he's playing with? So those are all things that virtually every goaltender, as well as a heck of a lot of other things, are faced with. How much of those things will be complete and not have to be taught, not have to be developed, or not have to be revised that he's learning now? And let's not forget, the 2023 draft has been referred 
referred to as one of the most loaded drafts in NHL history. As Montreal is piling up these additional draft picks, this is the perfect draft where maybe you can take a chance at the end of the first round, maybe as high as mid-first round, and certainly in the second and third rounds, and you can find a lot of good goalies. There will be at least five to seven good goalies in this draft that I think will have an impact on the NHL in the future. So if Montreal has nothing in their system, as it turns out, the 2023 draft will be the place to find that goaltender. And they'll have enough draft picks where they can afford to roll the dice on a goaltender at that point. Because a lot of people say, oh my God, don't ever draft a goaltender that high. They'll have the extra picks to be able to uh, take that chance if they deem that a reasonable risk. And regarding the 2023 NHL draft, apparently there's a louder and louder voice being made of, oh my God, the Canadians are going to have too many draft picks. I couldn't disagree with the topic more. I don't think an organization can ever have too many draft picks. Players come and go for a variety of reasons. They retire, they get unexpectedly injured, their contract ends, they get a great offer from somebody else. They may not even have had intentions of leaving, but the offer is too good for them to refuse. So you are constantly reloading your talent on a roster. The organizations that do that on a regular basis are the ones that remain your most competitive and perennial contenders championship of whatever sport that they're in. So I completely disagree that the Canadians could have too many draft picks. And I'll be honest, I'll take that even one step further. I think acquiring draft picks is even better than acquiring quote-unquote NHL-ready prospects because you can scout, you can develop, you can bring them along. You have 100% control over that prospect. And you have a better read on that prospect because he's been in your organization from the start. Not saying there's not good prospects out there. There are. But as far as draft picks, if I believe if you can develop them from beginning to completion, it's you're further ahead. It's, it's like an engineer that makes a product. They know more about that product than anybody else ever will. If you've developed that player from ground zero to completion, you will know more about that player, what their skills, what their strengths, what their deficiencies are than anybody else. And here are some perfect examples of how no matter what the draft choice is, you can find that diamond. Brendan Gallagher, 2010, 147th overall, fifth round pick. Jake Evans, 2014 overall, seventh round draft choice by Montreal that year. Michael Pizzetta, 160th overall in the 2016 draft. Jordan Harris, a player that we're watching right now come into his own, one of the three rookies that made the defense that nobody thought would actually be able to make. He was a third round pick in the 2018 draft. And the scary part about it, and the reason I mentioned those specific players, not only were they late rounds, that's about all that exists in Montreal right now from prior drafts before 2019. So again, for all those people that say you have too many draft picks, that's only four players that currently play on the Montreal roster that were drafted before 2019. That's a lot of misses in the draft. Not everybody pans out. Now, fortunately in 2019 started a heck of a run. Uh, you literally in 2019, of course, player that so many teams passed on being Cole Caulfield fell right into the laps of Montreal and they weren't afraid of picking him. So that was started off the 2019 draft with just an exceptional option that nobody even thought would be available at the 15th selection that year. The 2019 NHL interdef continued to land Montreal prospects such as Jaden Struble in the second round, Matthias Norlander in the third, even a utility player like Gianni Fairbrother who was another third round pick, Frederick Tachau in the fifth round, one of the goaltending prospects that I mentioned, Raphael Harvey Pinard, who is kind of a Brendan Gallagher clone according to many people in both stature and game style. He was a seventh round pick in 2019. Okay, 2020 of course landed you prospects such as Cade Gooley in the first round, Yan Mysak in the second round, Sean Farrell, 
Burrow in the fourth round, now playing for Harvard, who even the new head of the development team of the Canadians tagged as a can't-miss, highly skilled player. He has incredible hands, incredible skating ability, great lateral movement and dexterity, played for the Olympic team last year, which nobody saw coming, was extremely effective. And, of course, a fifth-round pick in the 2020 draft, Jacob Dobbs, one of the other goaltending prospects that I was talking about. Taking us to 2021, Logan Milo, who is going to turn out to be an outstanding right-handed defenseman that Montreal desperately needs and is proving every year of his junior career. He's currently 6'3", 215, has a cannon as a shot. That was followed up with Riley Kidney. There's going to be another great forward for the Montreal Canadiens who can either play center or left wing. Left defenseman William Trudeau, Joshua Roy, who, like Riley Kidney, is having fantastic years in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Xavier Simino, who's having an outstanding rookie season in Laval this year. And now, of course, this year, under Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes, Slavkovsk, Massar, Beck, Hudson, Ingstrom, Vadon. I mean, they've had great drafts, in particular, in the last four. I think better than any other team is drafted. So although there's a lot of prospects, some of those guys will be cornerstones of the franchise. Some of those guys will be utility players. That's just the last four drafts. There, there'll be a point here very shortly that your most dated draft pick on the team, or the player that's been drafted the furthest time ago, will be Jordan Harris, the third round 2018 draft. That's not that long. People that sit there and go, oh, you don't need that many draft picks. You can have too many. I totally disagree. It is your lifeline to reloading team. It is your lifeline to staying competitive. It is your time to transition your style of play as an organization as league evolves and changes the style of play, which has happened repeatedly every couple of years as it's gotten faster, more physical, more puck control, more offensive. Just depends on the style of play at that time. Not only has it been fun watching people have ECRO to just incredibly incorrect judgments that they passed on Jeff Gordon, Kent Hughes, and Martin St. Louis questioning their experience level, question the fact they've never served as roles before, how could they possibly be the right picks. Also has to be the amount of crow that people are eating over Mark Bergevin. People love taking shots at him when he got fired of C, finally we got rid of him and everything else. You're about to witness a tremendous foundation of draft picks that he selected in 2019, 2020, and 2021, and was continued with 2022 by the administration of Jeff Gordon, Ken Hughes. All people that either couldn't wait to be seen to be gotten rid of or people that, I don't understand why they're there. They're not picks. Obviously they were. Obviously they were not only the right picks, they were the best picks. And it has been extraordinarily enjoyable to watch people eat pro to the degree that they must be doing with just that tremendous inaccuracy poor judgment passing. Bergevin has always been known as a hell of a talent evaluator and Jeff Gordon, Kent Hughes, Martin St. Louis, from the day each one of them were hired, I said we're perfect for the organization. Jeff Gordon has worked for the Boston Bruins and the New York Rangers, as we previously discussed, so he's familiar with how an original six organization runs and the unique positions that they hold. He's also been very successful both in Boston and the New York Rangers. The New York Rangers, of course, are now one of the perennial contenders for the Stanley Cup. Are they at the, right at the top of the league? No, not yet, but he assembled a hell of a list of talent in Boston and in New York and obviously has a very effective way of doing things. Kent Hughes, as I've said on previous episodes, not only has Jeff Gordon to lean on, should he have any general manager questions, has a terrific team around him in management with Jeff Gordon, with Vincent LeCavalier, with the head of the development program with the head of the analytics the program a tremendous scouting team that the montreal canadians have so he has wrapped himself with great people all the way around him 
And what can one say about Martin St. Louis? Not only has he been the perfect selection for coach, but he actually understands the players. He's played the game recently. He's a championship player himself, and he still sees the game as a coach through the eyes of a player and understands how players play and how to put players in a position to win. And there hasn't been a coach that's done that consistently in Montreal since Scotty Bowman. So that's been a long time. If I had a vote that counted, that I could cast, I would vote for Jeff Gordon for Executive of the Year, Kent Hughes for GM of the Year, and Martin St. Louis for Coach of the Year right at the 20-game mark of this season. I think those three men have done a remarkable job. The process is more advanced than people thought it would be at this point. Is it near done? No, not at all. There's a lot of work to be done. There is still a roster transition to take place that will probably and could potentially blow the minds of a lot of people with as many people that could come in and out. That being said, the progress that they've made is extraordinary given the short time that those three men have been there. So with that said, thanks for tuning in to episode 22. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and thanks again for listening to the podcast. Have a fantastic week.